that uh, you are the one who is most worthy of our praise. Uh, thank you for the fellowship of um, your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, that by your spirit you convict us of our need for you. And guide us now as we look at your word. Uh, guide us because without you we're able even to please you. Uh, so help us to be attentive, help us to put aside distractions, imprint on our hearts those things that you want us to learn. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, please take a seat. Uh, there are Bibles at the back. If you need Bibles, I'm going to read the Bible in a moment from Luke chapter 11. Um, and you can also find an outline in the little camp booklets. Uh, there's an outline there. Uh, Luke chapter 11. If you need a Bible, here you um, can pass you one. Let, let me read from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend... And he goes from at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks him for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks him for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Prayer can be rather confusing. Uh, the last two men alive in a World War I trench were an officer and a private. Uh, there was no way of escape. The enemy was advancing in on their position and so the officer turns to the private and says, Jones, there's only one thing we can do. You should pray. Uh, Jones replies, but sir, I've, I've never prayed before in my life. I only know one prayer. The officer says to him, didn't you hear me? I'm not going to tell you again. Now just pray. All right, sir. So as the artillery is raining in and whistles are going above their head, Jones clasps his hands together, closes his eyes and said, Lord, for what we are about to receive, may we be truly thankful. <laughs> Prayer can be confusing. Uh, and that's not just the case for Private Jones. It can be the case for many people, including Christians. Uh, when it comes to prayer, we often feel a mixture of confusion and failure. Confusion and failure. I can think of nothing that is so great... That is easy. And prayer must be one of the hardest things in the world. 
Prayer is one of the habits we know of a vital and healthy Christian life. Prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines um, because our beliefs do not automatically produce changed character, changed behaviour. And so Christians need these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines, singing, prayer, Bible reading, community. We need these things over and over and over again to mould our character because our character does not change overnight. We need these things to produce a transformed life. And so just over the next little while, we're going to be talking about prayer, this practice of speaking to God, which seems so simple, but is often very hard. And so it's great that we get the disciples asking on our behalf. They ask Jesus, they come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray, because they struggle with prayer as well. And they've seen Jesus over the years that they've spent with him, him praying and praying and praying. And so they ask him, Jesus, we, we want to know, teach us to pray. So there's a lot that could be said about prayer. We could spend a month of Sundays, a year of Sundays, talking about this passage. But we're just going to try to get three things out of this passage this afternoon. First of all, the object of our prayer. Secondly, the content of our prayer. And thirdly, the manner of our prayer. The object, the content, and the manner. First, the object. In other words, to whom do we pray? Jesus says to his disciples in verse 2, When you pray, say... Father. This passage starts with Father. The prayer starts with that word Father. And it ends, I wonder if you noticed, with an illustration about a father and his children. So straight away Jesus is telling us something that's really intense and assuring. Uh, Because Jesus is talking about the nature of our relationship with God. Um, Before we start thinking about anything to do with prayer... We remind ourselves about the person to whom, the kind of relationship we have with the person to whom we're praying. We are speaking to God as our Father. Now, one of the most, of all the different relationships you can have, the most unconditional relationship that exists is that between a father and his children. The child-father relationship is the most unconditional. It's more unconditional than your relationship with your spouse. I mean, imagine a five-year-old daughter coming to her father at three o'clock in the morning, waking him up and saying, Daddy, I need a drink. Um, What's he going to do? Well, he's going to get up out of bed and three o'clock in the morning, he's going to go and get his daughter a drink. Imagine if this guy's spouse asked him the same question. Three o'clock in the morning, she nudges him awake. Honey, could you get me a drink? What's he going to say? Go get it yourself. Of course he is, right? But here, a father-child relationship is completely unconditional. Uh, There's nothing that this child has done to earn the relationship. No interviews that she's sat, no tests that she's passed. Not, Not based on performance or anything like that, is it? It's a completely unconditional relationship. She has complete access to her father. And so do we. That's the access we have. When we say Father, we're reminding ourselves of the intimacy, the wonderful access that we have with the God of the universe. It's free access. One of my favourite movies in recent years was called Lincoln. Some of you might have seen it. It's about the uh, former US President, Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War. And it tells really of President Lincoln's anguish 
as hundreds of thousands of men die in this war. This war which ultimately ends with the abolition of slavery in the US. And I remember hearing once a story about a Yankee soldier who heard news that his parents were dying. And he asked permission from his superiors to leave his company for a little while, to leave his fellow soldiers and visit his dying parents. That permission was refused and he was understandably distraught. Now, this soldier happened to be in the Washington area and so he took himself to the White House to try to gain higher approval. But understandably, he could not get in. He could not have access to President Lincoln. So he goes to a nearby park and weeps uncontrollably. A boy sees him there, a boy who's wandering past, sees him crying and asks him what the problem is. And this Yankee soldier, he begins telling this boy his story. And the boy stops him and says, come with me. They leave the park, walk across the road, go towards the White House. They pass through the gate, through the front door, up the stairs, through the corridors into the president's office. And the president looks up and says, Tad, what can I do for you? And Tad says, Father, there is a man here who would like to speak with you. That's exactly the type of access we have with the God of the universe. You know, lots of people pray. Prayer is common for all the different world religions. Even people who would otherwise not call themselves spiritual or religious will pray in a particular time of need. But the New Testament says that we Christians, God's people, have access to him because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, ordinarily, you and I would not have access to God's. We cannot stand in the holy and pure presence of the Creator God without our sins being dealt with. But the problem is we have, we have our impurities, our propensity to push God to the sidelines of our lives, to all about other things in priorities. We have all sorts of other things that denies us access. Imagine for a moment if a documentary was made of your life. some guy with a camera followed you. He even captured your thoughts. Is there anything that could be hidden? God would see it. God sees it all. I mean, I, I don't live up to my own standards, let alone the standards that God would set me. That means I cannot stand in the presence of a pure and holy God. You know, there was one time in all of Jesus' earthly life when he lost access to his heavenly father on the cross Jesus did not call out to God as father what did he say my God my God why have you abandoned me what was happening well on the cross Jesus lost access to his heavenly father he got thrown out of the family so to speak He was rejected. He suffered rejection from his father, taking what we deserve so that we could be brought in. Now, when you believe in Jesus, when you trust in him as your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, gives you access to the Father. It's like he's saying, Father, 
there is someone here who would like to speak with you. But it's even more than that. When you believe in Jesus as your saviour, you are brought into the heavenly, you are adopted as a child of God. And you have all the privileges of being part of God's family. An eternal inheritance prepared for you. A room for you prepared in the Father's house. Wonderful intimacy. The Heavenly Father knows you completely and loves you unconditionally. Look, access to God, being able to pray to Him, doesn't come because we've mastered some particular technique. Um, It doesn't come because we've experienced this quest of enlightenment. It doesn't come because you've earned it. It doesn't come like you've gain the promotion at work, worked your way up the ladder, getting yourself into a higher position so you're on the inside room, you're in there where all the the decisions are made. No, you haven't earned it. But it cuts both ways as well. Because sometimes in the vicissitudes of life, in the ups and downs, sometimes we don't feel as though we can pray. We say to ourselves... How is it that God would possibly want to listen to me? I don't feel like a child of God. I certainly don't act like it. I I deserve to be thrown out. God's not going to listen to my prayers. Remind yourself. Drill it into your heart over and over and over again. Jesus says we begin by saying, Father, this is a relationship that we have not earned and we do not deserve. And yet God calls us his children because of Jesus Christ. We are loved unconditionally. So first of all, Jesus teaches us about the object of prayer. We pray to our Heavenly Father. But secondly, he also teaches us about the content of prayer. We pray for his kingdom, not ours. In 1543, Nicholas Copernicus came up with his revolutionary theory. You might have heard it up until that time. It was common belief that everything in the universe, including the sun, revolved around the earth. But Copernicus argued, and he was hammered for it, that instead everything in the universe, including the earth, revolved around the sun. It's something that we take for granted now, but back then that was absolutely revolutionary. It was counterintuitive. The Lord's Prayer, these 34 words are kind of like a Copernican revolution. Because even though we pray to God as his children, he is our father, we're not the centre of attention. He is. Notice how it starts. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Even before we ask anything of God, before we ask for our sins to be forgiven, before we ask for our daily bread, we first of all ask for his kingdom, not our own. This tells us that fundamentally prayer is not about us, it's about God's. It's about his will. It's about moulding our will to his, not bending his will to our own. Look, Jesus is is teaching us about a a, a model of prayer to follow, uh, whether we do it corporately or individually, It's absolutely, yes, it's absolutely vital to pray for our concerns. It's vital to come before God with our own needs, uh, with whatever it is weighing on our mind, because we recognise that he's in control of our circumstances. We're not. And it's vital to ask him for our daily bread. It's essential to come to God as well with our sins, as we've talked about this morning. 
We come before him for forgiveness and mercy. We talked about that. But we need to remember what his concerns are because often our concerns are a long, long way from his concerns. If we, if we don't pray for God's priorities, we remind ourselves that we're a long way from God's hearts. Listen, imagine a boy who leaves school and, and starts working in a factory manufacturing cars. He works hard, does long hours, and as the weeks and months pass, his father begins to notice that his son doesn't talk to him much anymore, really only just at weekends. Now, the boy doesn't hate his dad. He just feels as though his dad wouldn't really understand his situation too much. His dad has never worked in a factory, and pretty soon the boy doesn't call home at all. Uh, Even life feels quite lonely for him. Have you ever felt a reluctance to talk to God? Uh, You've got all these pressures and responsibilities, these demands of life weighing on your mind. And whilst you, you, you know God is there, you feel as though he's distant, not really relevant to you getting by in life. Contrast this situation with the father who owns and runs the factory. Now, he has promised to teach his son the family business because... One day he's going to inherit his father's work. Uh, The son feels daunted, but there's also a sense of excitement and enthusiasm about it as well. So he works in his father's factory. He contributes where he can. He learns as much as he can. He absorbs it in. And he calls home a lot because he wants to learn from his father. He wants to learn about the father's priorities, the family's business. He's concerned for the father's business and for his reputation. And so it is with prayer. When we start to realise that our father's family business is the redemption and restoration of the world, and when it clicks that our father has invited us to be involved in his business, that he invites us to use the gifts, the means, the time, the talents, the treasures that he has bestowed upon us in this family business, then we... We're no longer as obsessed with the, yes, important, but in comparison, smaller things that normally plague our attention. Uh, These things that we're we're probably going to forget about later on. And so we'll become more concerned about our father's plans, about his reputation and his honour. Prayer is not about getting our father to stop what he is thinking about so that he thinks about our agenda It's about moulding our will to his will, his kingdom first. Now that's the content of our prayer, God's kingdom, God's concerns first. Thirdly, Jesus reminds us about the manner of our prayer, how we pray. And in verses uh, 5 to 13, Jesus encourages us to have two attitudes when we pray. First of all, he encourages us to have to pray with shameless audacity or shameless urgency. Jesus tells a parable, and he tells a parable about a man who's got an unexpected visitor. And in the ancient Near East, it was utterly contemptible, it was shameful that when you had a guest, even if that guest was unexpected, you were meant to show hospitality. 
That normally involved giving them lodging and food. But here is a guy who's got a guest coming unexpectedly at an early, small hours of the morning, and he's got no food. He's got no food. And in those times, food was prepared daily. It was not like this guy had refrigeration, had huge storerooms of food. He couldn't go down to his local 7-Eleven or welcome and quickly prepare food and get it quite like we can here. This is first century Palestine, not Hong Kong. The only thing he could do was to ask a friend for help. And so he goes to the home of a friend. And in most circumstances back then, homes were one-room dwellings. And at night, for security, you brought everything into your home. Your family slept in that room. Your animals, whatever you had, as much as possible, came in that room and you locked, you barred the door. It was secure for the night. Your family was there sleeping with you on this raised platform at the end of the room, on the far end from the door. Here is this guy, comes to his friend's house. Think of the inconvenience. He'd wake up, not just his friend, but everybody in the household. But such is his urgency, the requirement for him to provide hospitality for his visitor, that he must knock. And so he does. Initially, your friend refuses you. What are you doing, you idiot? Don't you know? Everyone's asleep here. Go away. I can't get up. The door's locked. My children are asleep. Go away. But he keeps knocking and he keeps asking. And we read in verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. Now, Jesus is not saying we're like that man inside the house, or the God is like that man inside the house, reluctant to give us bread or reluctant to answer our prayers in any respect. God's not like that. No, no. God is not selfish or uncaring or indifferent to our needs. And we, he doesn't have to be repeatedly nagged and the door knocked down. God is not like that other guy saying, don't bother me, get away from me. No, the comparison is between the guy who's doing the knocking, who's doing the asking, and us. We're to make our requests repeatedly, boldly, even desperately. Jesus uses that phrase, shameless audacity. It means we should ask for big things. Jesus is saying we should have shameless audacity and then he applies the parable in verse 9. So I ask you, or so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Listen, so often prayer is simply hard work. Uh, We have to wrestle even to get to the point where we're ready to pray. Uh, The concentration to, to, to fight for that, the freedom from distraction, is a fight in itself. And sometimes other things just seem to be more needful to us. We could do with the extra sleep, the extra time at work, the extra social media, whatever it's going to be. Imagine that you share a house, you share an apartment with someone who hardly speaks to you. This person leaves messages for you every now and again, are making simple requests, but that person hardly really speaks to you. And when you mention it, when you confront this person, she says, well, I don't really have the time so much and I can't develop the concentration span. And, you know, I'm just tired a lot of the time, so I'd rather not speak to you if that's okay. (laughs) Now, what would you think? 
Regardless of how good or bad of a conversationalist you are, you'd think that person's attitude would be even just a little bit rude, right? Of course, rudeness is too weak a word to describe our reluctance, our hesitation to talk to the God who created us and who sustains us every moment of the day. The Apostle Paul says to the Romans, I urge you to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Prayer is striving, it's persistence, it's a struggle, it's desperation, it means sticking with it through the ups and downs of life, it means knocking at the door even at midnight, it means shameless urgency, it means we ask for big things. You keep persisting through your private prayer life, you, you, you set yourself a plan. You try to meet with other people. You get accountability. You you figure it out. Figure out a way in which you can make prayer work for yourself. We've all had our failures and frustrations in this area, but we persist. I read once about a person, this seems weird, but I read once about a person who observes people when they're in art galleries. He looks at people looking at works of art. And this person said that he would spend hours... He saw people who would spend hours in front of single masterpieces. He talked to some of these people and he found out that they would almost spend years in front of a single masterpiece. One person who spent a single week looking at a work by Raphael. Another who would spend years looking at a painting and yet found it possible again and again and again to find something new and beautiful and joyful. Now, maybe there's something that you could study for for hours and days and and, and weeks. How much more of that patient attention could we give in prayer to conversing and studying with the God who gives us all things? So that's the first attitude, shameless urgency. The second is from verses 11 to 13, childlike confidence. Childlike confidence. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is speaking about God's willingness to answer our prayers. Uh, Picture the scene, little Johnny asks his father for a goldfish. And Johnny's dad, because he's a good dad, wants to give him a goldfish. And so he wanders down to the goldfish street in Mong Kok and starts looking at all the goldfishes. But pretty quickly, he gets distracted and he sees all the other things, the chameleons, the hedgehogs, all the weird random animals that you can't really buy anywhere else. And he thinks, no, Johnny doesn't want a goldfish. I'm going to buy him a snake. And so he goes into a shop and asks the shopkeeper, I'd like to buy my son a snake. And the shopkeeper, because he's a kind of normal guy, says, well, I can give you a pretty harmless snake. Here, here's a carpet snake. And the dad says, nah, that's a little bit boring. How about, have you got a cobra? Have you got a cobra? Now, you get the point right. Which father would be so irresponsible that when his son asks him for a fish, he'd give him a snake? Jesus is saying to his disciples, even though... You're evil. You still know how to give your children good gifts, right? How much more so? 
Listen, he's speaking to guys who aren't criminals. They're disciples, right? He's speaking to guys who are kind of intelligent. They might be flawed, but they're kind of intelligent. But he's talking about their heart condition. It's a comparison exercise, and yet they still know how to give good gifts to their children. And aren't we like that? Those of us who are parents, don't we bend over backwards to give good things for our own children? How much more the perfect heavenly Father, the all-knowing Father who knows what we need? Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray with absolute confidence that God will give you what you need. Now, some of you might say, listen, I've prayed and prayed I've asked, I've knocked and knocked repeatedly over and over and over again, and yet God hasn't answered my prayers. God will give you what you need. You say, well, hang on, I've prayed like verses 9 and 10. Have you prayed like verses 1 and 2? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Look, I know this is difficult to many of us uh, because... Often we pray for things that we genuinely think are for God's kingdom, not ours. We pray for our loved ones to be healed. We pray for those who are close to us to be saved. We pray and pray and pray and pray for years for these types of things, but our prayers go unanswered and the heavens seem like bronze. There's this quote from John Newton, you know, Amazing Grace John Newton, that I, always, that I often find helpful. He says, Everything is necessary that God sends... Nothing is necessary that he withholds. Everything is necessary that God sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. You know, you and I don't see as God sees. We don't have the full picture. But he does. He's the perfect heavenly father. And we can have absolute confidence that he'll give us what we need, even those tough things in life, somehow, in the mystery of his ways, are what we need. And Jesus says he's given us the best gift, the Holy Spirit, abiding in our hearts, enabling us to know our need for a saviour, enabling us to draw close to him. And he'll guide us and sustain us and indwell us and be a presence in our lives in good times and bad. Look, prayer is hard, but it's a wonderful gift that does change things. And even though we don't always get what we ask for, we do get what we need. God has given us his only son, the one whom, when he was being crucified, prayed for the forgiveness of those who were killing him and who right now stands at the right hand of his father, interceding, praying for you and I now. And he calls on us to join in this great work together. So let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this wonderful gift of prayer that we can converse with you, our loving God and Heavenly Father. Thank you that you have made the way open to us, that we have access to you because of the peace we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, guide us by your Spirit because we find prayer often difficult. We're fickle and distracted. And even though it's important to pray for those things that concern us, sometimes that's where our prayers end. So lift our eyes and help us to have a vision of you and your righteousness and your kingdom and pray for your kingdom to come. Lord, help us to be of an encouragement to others in prayer as well because this is a community activity 
So help us not to just pray on our own, but pray with others. Pray as a, as a church. Draw us close to you, Lord. Enable us to delight in prayer, to cherish it, to come before you over and over and over again. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.